Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, the death of Michael Anderson at the age of 43, and I'll tell you what, a cover-up at Florence Prison Camp, and tonight we deal with the danger and the intimate danger that the RP5 guys are in. What does that mean? We're asking Congress to act. As a result of the cover-up of this young man's murder, you're going to hear from the mother tonight who appeared on this show some time ago, and it is clear that Michael Anderson, at the age of 43, was snuffed out by the system. What has happened, what has been done, absolutely nothing. We uncover the corruption and talk about the intimate danger of five men, for now, that are in danger at Florence Prison Camp. Folks, hang on. We take off right now. There you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Kendrick Barnes, Sepson Riddle, Dennis Merritt, William Williams, and Clinton Stewart, Cliff Stewart, excuse me, and the entire AJC radio team tonight as we deal with this issue. How is it that a man can get murdered, not at a high-security prison uh, across this country, but we're talking about a prison camp? Uh, no fences, no barbed wire, no kill fences, and yet we have a young man that is dead who was facing about two years max before he walked out and would be reunited with his family. And because of the information being brought to a just cause, a just cause organization, uh, these men, the R, known as the RP5, live in constant threat of their own life as a result of knowing this information. On top of that, acts of retaliation by the Florence Prison Camp officials has continued and has escalated more and more each and every day. Why is that? Why has that not been reported? How is it that a prison would actually offer cremation services of an inmate who has died at their facility? These are questions, William, that have to be answered. These are not things or situations that are normal. The Bureau of Prisons or the state prison system does not do funeral services for anybody. That's right. That's right. That's absolutely right. I mean, this, this right here is an example of what's going on in our prison camps today when we have loved ones that are there and be treated inhumane. And in this case, with Michael Anderson, this, this whole air and mystery of this man's body, what happened, the story that, and, and what he shared with his family leading up to 
the incident. And now his body, where, you know, the, the, the state, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lamont, the state making arrangements for his body, not turned over to his, his family. Not be, you know, and, and, and why? Why is this happening? And, and, and then the chain of events that have happened now to, in his family with his son, if I, if I remember correctly, his son committed suicide because of this, and his parents still grieving because of this, and then the IRP-5 now in fear of their lives because this, this cover-up that's going on at this prison, it's, it's an incredible thing that we're facing. And more and more you see the corruption in our, in our judicial system. More and more you see the manipulation and this, this attitude of, towards um, mishandling and mistreating and, and they're being empowered. These guards are being empowered to do this and allowed to get away with. Well, and our loved ones are in their, in their hands, in their control. Well, these are one of those things that have to be exposed Social media right now, AJC Radio, a Just Cause organization, has started a social media campaign in regards to when does it come down to the fact that lives are in danger now. People have died for a lot less, but when you're talking about a cover-up by the federal government, an entity of the federal government as the Bureau of Prisons, uh, information has been put out to the Bureau of Prisons time and time again. Uh, regarding Michael Anderson and his death. Why does the Bureau of Prisons remain silent? Why is no one talking about a broken heart mother, Billy Anderson, who appeared on this show, and you're going to hear both interviews tonight by her and her family. What we'd like to do tonight is set the stage and let you know, look, this is not some effort simply made by a just cause organization. These are the words of the family members who appeared on this program, who were heartbroken. The wife of Michael Anderson goes to visit her husband on a holiday weekend. She is left standing outside for hours, only to realize that somebody comes out way later and says, oh, by the way, let's pass this information to you. Your husband committed suicide. He has passed away. It doesn't stand to reason. This young man was excited. He was excited about going home. He was excited about being a part of his family, raising his son, going hunting, going camping, all the things that, that father and sons pretty much do. was very excited about that. Ultimately, he finds himself in a situation that is unheard of. How does a man planning to go home? after being in solitary confinement, ends up dead. Talked about the threats made to him personally by the prison guards at Florence Prison Camp, where they mocked him, made fun of him, told him they would put a hit out on him, basically. This is coming from prison officials. Dennis, when you hear this stuff, this is, un- this is unreal, but it is a reality. And let me make this point, Dennis, before I get to your point. Michael Anderson is one of thousands of people who are dying behind the wall. And the people that know the truth 
find themselves in danger. The IRP5, known as IRP5, and four are left there. David Banks, Clinton Stewart, Demetrius Harper, Dave Zerpolo, they are in a situation where they could be put in a body bag for what they know. That's why we are employing, we are reaching out to members of Congress. Lives are at stake here. Lives are at stake now. So do we just, and and I'm going to tell you something, as we get into the show tonight, the IRP5 found themselves in a situation. How is it? And you'll hear a lot of questions tonight. Does a group of men get a call in their locations of the Florence prison camp to pack out and to leave at 4 o'clock in the morning without authorization from Washington, D.C. to move these inmates? How is it in the middle of transport a call comes from Washington, D.C. telling these men, return these men back to the prison camp? Number one, why was the move made? Was it a setup to kill these men for what they knew? That's a question you got to ponder. There's not a move within the prison system that doesn't happen from the top. How, why does Washington call back and say, get those men back? What was the plan? What was the move about? And we are fortunate tonight that that call came and we may be having a different conversation on this show tonight. We may be talking about the memory of the IRP-5 that were suddenly killed on the way to transport. That is a reality. We're going to deal with that on the other side of the break. Folks, hang on, buckle in, call your family, your friends, and everybody else. And I'll tell you right now, this is reality. The IRP-5 are in intimate danger. And their lives hang in the balance because of information about a cover-up of, of the death and the murder of Michael Anderson. We're coming back to you. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I'd speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. The criminal justice system has a set of rights created to protect you. But do you think it's really protecting us? You had a right to remain silent. But that really means you had a right to be silent, doubted, interrogated, suspected. The color of your skin can and will be used against you in the court of law. In their hands, we're incarcerated five times more often than white people convicted for the same crimes. You have a right to attorney during questioning. In some states, 
80% of criminal defendants can't even afford an attorney. So an overworked public defender controls your fate. One government employee, countless lives at stake. You had a right to be innocent until proven guilty. But somehow, about 47% of the wrongly convicted are black. And if they do prove you're guilty, they're going to write you a run-on sentence. On average, 20% longer than white defendants accused of the same crime. Even if you get out, you're still not free. When you're an ex-con, they had a right to deny you a bank account, deny you a mortgage, deny you a job, deny your vote. And if you don't remain perfect with the smallest slip-up, smallest infraction, the most honest mistake, you're going to join us, the 80% who come back to prison within five years, as I did. That's when you realize they didn't bring us here to thrive. They brought us here to build this. The plantation and the prison are actually no different. The past is the present. It ain't no coincidence. This was the plan since abolition, to keep us subjugated by creating this system. But I believe in a different set of rights. The right to stand up and be heard. The right to reform a broken justice system and build a new future. We had the right to be silent. Now it's our right to speak up. Do you understand these rights as I read them to you? When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do bald chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life. anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 855- 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. 
Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. History is important because it shows where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com. Ladies and gentlemen of America, welcome back. This is AJC Radio tonight as we are in a situation where, as advocates, we are forced to expose the untimely death of Michael Anderson, 43 years old, uh, and to believe they've been killed, murdered, if you will, at Florence Prison Camp by officers there. I'll tell you right now that this story is necessary to be brought to light because there's two parts of this story. The RP5, the men known as the RP5, who have been wrongfully convicted, who we talk about consistently on this program, were privy to the information regarding the death of Michael Anderson. I'll tell you right now that this is something that has to be told. Our concern tonight as an organization is that the lives of these five men, for now, are in jeopardy. These men are in intimate, intimate danger right now. As a result of knowing this information, the Bureau of Prisons and the Florence Prison Camp officials refuse to do the right thing and have acted in major acts of retaliation against these men because of what they know. I'll tell you right now, if something does not happen, it is a likelihood and a possibility, a very real possibility, that we may be talking about the sudden deaths of the RP5. Make no mistake about it. If you think that is something that is simply a fairy tale of some kind, some type of illusion, and a figment of our imagination, I'm here to tell you, Michael Anderson did not plan to die. And he was killed at that prison. This man had less than two years to do on his time. He was very excited. And Kenrick, we talked earlier, and we're going to be playing the interview with the family here shortly. We talked to during the break, Kenrick, in regards to uh, this man was excited. You saw him on a number of occasions in the visitation room. Uh, he was introducing people to his wife, saying, look, she's moving down here so we can be close to each other. We're going to have a life together. Those are not the words or the actions of a man who is planning to kill himself. This man didn't have a life sentence. He had less than two years. Yeah, less than two years. And, and, and to put that in context, he was having his wife move from Wyoming Buy a house in Canyon City, which is the town just next to uh, Florence, so that they can be, he can have a visit every weekend. Mm-hmm. This is a person planning to see his wife, 
every weekend. He was introducing it to everyone in the visiting room. He was very happy about that fact because he was feeling lonely. And he was like, you know what? My family come out to see me, my wife, son. That, I mean, this guy was looking forward. I mean, he had less than uh, two years left. This guy was looking forward to the future. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was, it, was, it was not in the mind of anyone that knew him at Florence that he had any sort of tendency where he would take his own life. It just did not smell right to everyone that heard the story that he goes to the hole. You know, nobody even knows why he went. Well, they didn't have any charges. Like, what, what, did it, what incident did he do? And then to hear that he's, he's dead, I mean, that was a shock, basically, to everyone at the prison camp. No, absolutely right. And I'll tell you right now, folks, that here's the issue that raises a lot of questions. And I'm going to let the family of, of Michael Anderson speak, and then we're going to get into that dialogue. People have died in, gov- in government cover-ups, people that knew information. Uh, William, it doesn't take a long look to realize people have died for less. Yes. When you're talking about the federal government, you're talking about federal officials, you're talking, pe- talking about people in high positions that have known less than this. But when you call the mother, matter of fact, you didn't call. You never called Billy Anderson's mom. I mean, Michael Anderson's mom, Billy. You never made a phone call. She had to run down of where the body of her son was. They never gave her a formal report of what happened. See, if everything's lined up, everything flows. When did, and not only did you offer to bury this man, you offered to cremate him. Why is that? Well, and, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, you're you, – Kendrick had said the man was planning. He was planning, you know, for the, his next steps. He already, you know, whatever situation that landed him in prison, it is what it is. But he was moving forward. He had made plans. You know, that's hope. That's what that man was holding on to, hope. And then for it to all be gone. And then to your point, his mother, no doubt, loving her son, caring about him in the situation. I think even in her and in the clip she talked about times, I think, visiting him. And then all of a sudden to track down and, and have to discover that her son was dead, have to, have to go through that task of trying to find out what happened. Where's the body? All these unanswered questions, this mystery about her son. And and then to find out, and and you can only just feel this 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 cover up, this this nastiness that that is around this story to say, well, you know, we'll take care of it, we'll cremate the body. Why? Well, Why? Why are you trying to do this? What are you covering up here? You didn't even care enough to inform the family of the well, of the untimely demise of their loved one. But you now are trying to cover up and say, oh, we'll take care of the body. What is this? What, what, what is this? What, where is the feelings, the condolences for the family, for the mother that is weeping, for the, the, the wife that was making the sacrifice moving down from Wyoming, the son, the father? Where, where is it? Well, the bottom line is the other part of this tragedy, the 19-year-old boy – 
Michael Anderson's son drove up to the mountains and shot himself dead in the head because he said he couldn't live without his father. This is a man, again, as Kendrick just alluded to, was excited about being back with his family. It, the corruption here, the callous here, that this is not a, a story that is so isolated we are stunned. No. When you have a man murdered in Florida, Darren Rainey, cooked, make no mistake about that statement, cooked in a shower, I believe, at 180 degrees, Why prison guards laughed. And mocked him as he begged for his life. Somebody help me, please. And he was in there over a alleged less than what, an ounce? A couple of ounces of drugs? And his family said he never did drugs. He had some issues that he was trying to work through. But they killed him. And there was no accountability there was no consequence those men were never charged with a crime to the best of my knowledge no they weren't they were put on some type of administration if that some type of leave and investigate and found no wrongdoing in the death of mr rainey even though they found the room behind the shower that had the controls to turn the temperature up they discovered all this stuff. And, you know, even as we're sitting here and I'm thinking the cries of these men and women that sit in institutions that are being tortured. I mean, not mistreated. Let's just get to it. Let's be being tortured. Well, and have died. But the concern here tonight. And our hearts go out to those families. We go out. It goes out to Billy Anderson. What if I got to get a phone call about one member of the RP5? Again, we're going to get into that attempted transfer from the from the prison without authority. What conversation would we be, would we be having right now? Driven, there's no body cams on these guys. I don't believe there's body cams on prison officials, is it? I don't believe so. So, go ahead, Kendrick. Not in the feds. There's no, there's no cameras anywhere except uh, watching inmates. So, so you're telling me you guys are getting put up in a van at 4 o'clock in the morning. Could be driving to your death. And, and usually, and this is the thing that was a lot, that usually they don't do moves that early in the morning. They, they're, I mean, because you look at it this way, they're trying to save money any way they can. They're going to move in large groups to save money, but to wake us up specifically, just you, just, just us, just all of us in the IRP uh, case, RP five, four o'clock in the morning, n- no notice, just told to lock your locker up and come with us. And I'll tell you right now, from being at the state level, Kendrick. During my wrongful conviction, we moved after Chow. You move after Chow. Chow's at six o'clock. 
And the reason you move after child is that you, you eat breakfast, you take, but there's a multiple number of people being moved. Why were the IRP-5 isolated alone for a move? It is about what they know that was brought to a just cause organization. This man was murdered. They don't want that. Let's do what we, let's move these guys now. Nobody will know. All they have to do is get on the local news, the national news, and say, look, they attacked us. Someone, one of them got free out of his handcuffs. We had no choice but to shoot them. They're armed. I promise you on transport, every guard is armed. And they're armed to kill. Why is this so important? These men are in danger. That's true. There's no other way to put it. That's true. Absolutely. What are we going to do about it? This is a just cause. We will let the public know. Where's the congressional look into this death? We will be contacting and have already began to contact members on Capitol Hill. And could I add, too, one of the only professions protected by the Constitution is the, is the press. Now, the press just lays down and let the BOP bar them from entry and to investigate. Now, they have a right under the Constitution – to report. To report. To say, hey, we, we would like to we would like look in further. Let's see the paperwork. Let's see everything behind this issue. They can do it. They have the right under the law, and the BOP is is uh, subject to that constitution since they're a federal institution to press this matter, to go with Congress, to ask those hard questions, to see what happened to this man, and why are you retaliating against inmates that have information that and, could possibly, you know, bring light to the situation. But do we have to fill five body bags? Does another mother's heart must be broken? How did my son die? There's no answers. These men walk every day at Florence Prison Camp with a dictator for a warden that can do and act in any way he chooses because the federal... Uh, BOP is a living joke. They're a joke. It's true. They will do absolutely nothing because this information has been brought to them. But it's getting ready to be brought again and again and again. If you think a just cause will sit back silently as advocates, you are sadly mistaken. We will be in Washington. We will go wherever justice will take us. Because we don't need a call that these men are dead by some fabricated story that you want to make up because they know information about your corruption. It's not going to happen. And how do you kill a man and his son says, I'm so out of it, I took my life with a loaded gun and shot himself in the 19 years old. What does that tell you? I have seen people in the penitentiary who had a lot more time than less than two years 
that didn't take their life. This man didn't take his life. He's going home. He's going camping. He moved his wife closer. This is not a man planning to die. Cliff, your thoughts? Yeah, the the well, the whole thing is strange, but when you think about how VOP tries to frame this, oh yeah, well, you know, uh, he killed himself in solitary confinement. How do you find the the resources in solitary confinement where you don't have access to anything for any length of time to commit suicide? How do you in solitary confinement look like you got beat up by five people, but your suicide was supposed to be that you hung yourself with your shirt off the side of, of, uh, of the, of the door. How do you get, how do you get in the condition that Michael Anderson's body was in when you commit suicide in solitary confinement and you're supposed to be the only man able to touch you? And Cliff, it's Hampson. I'm coming right to you. We played a clip called The Sounds of Solitary Confinement. If suicide was so easy, why the sounds that we hear? Why are they there? And the things that those men do trying to say, I can't take solitary, I have to get some relief. Self-mutilating their bodies because they don't have anything at hand to mutilate themselves with. Jumping against walls, banging their heads, but nothing saying, oh, I was able to commit suicide from being in solitary confinement from a short time. Men stay in solitary confinement and women as well for years on end and trying to find an escape, trying to find a way to say I would take my own life if I could. How does Michael Anderson find it so easy and how has he looked like? And the picture that we saw, it looked like this man was beat by five people. How do you supposedly do that to yourself before you commit suicide? I I would say it's totally impossible. And Samson, your thoughts? Well, no, just just to Cliff's point and then a question, you know, it's like it's called solitary confinement, you know, for a reason. You know, you're there to be isolated from everything and everybody that could possibly, you know, be done to you. And then when... When did it become a BOP policy to process the body for the fam on behalf of the family without letting them without letting them even view it? Doesn't happen. Exactly, it does not happen. So anybody with a shred of common sense and decency knows this is a cover up. They know that you know it's 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 a targeted effort at these these IRP five men to get them and get them out of the way. That's what it is. I'm going to play really quick for you before we get into the. Uh, interview with Billy Anderson, Michael Anderson's mother. I uh, had the privilege of speaking with her again today. Heartbroken. Heartbroken for what is happening. I told her today we will continue to fight for justice for your son. But I want to play to this point the sounds of solitary confinement. If suicide was, as Cliff just alluded to, that easy, you know what the sounds of solitary confinement would be? Complete silence. But this is what solitary confinement sounds like for those looking for a way out. Let's hear it. Solitary 
there you have it. The sounds of solitary confinement. Torture. If you're thinking that these men are banging their he- their hands against the door, it is their heads trying to find a way out. Michael Anderson was murdered. And we will hold those accountable, accountable. Other side of the break, we're going to take a quick break. Coming back, the interview that you've been waiting for tonight that sets the stage, lays the foundation as to why the RP5 men are in intimate danger of losing their lives for the information that they know. This is AJC Radio, the death of Michael Anderson and the intimate danger of the RP5. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experience some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving, 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting, 1 in 10. 
odds of getting cancer in your lifetime? One in two men, one in three women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation, for the ones we love, for our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration, historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison, if they dropped out of high school, is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling, that's become a normal life event. And that's really only happened in the last 10 years. We're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration have diminished school achievement, they have behavioural problems, depressive symptoms, acting out. And there's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty. And we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we are trying to solve a mystery that is very difficult to solve. And the reason that is, Federal Bureau of Prisons is culpable in the death of Michael Anderson. The inmate at Florence Prison Camp in Colorado suddenly comes up dead actually on his way home within less than two years. According to Kendrick Barnes, a member of the RP5, very clear that this young man was excited about going home, was excited about his relationship with his mother, his entire family. And suddenly, on a holiday weekend, on a Sunday, I believe, or a Monday morning, Michael Anderson comes up dead. Members of the RP5 alerted us to this story about the death of this man, 43 years of age, excited about his life. Ends up dead as his wife stands in line for visitation on a holiday Monday only to learn after hours of waiting for him to go in and see him, the news is given that he has passed away. The claim by the prison, we're going to share that press release with you that we put out back in October of 2015 after the interview of the family of Michael Anderson. To be honest with you, it's not a mystery at all. It is clear. The RP5 now stand in danger as acts of retaliation has escalated to its highest level and could escalate further. And that further escalation could be a phone call to the families of the RP5 that these men have also suddenly passed away. Serious business. It is our job, it is our duty, it is our obligation as an advocacy organization to call out this corruption. We call now on members of Congress, the Office of the Inspector General, to look into the murder of Michael Anderson and to protect these men who are privy to the information, who have been locked up now seven years wrongfully, but now stand at risk again for the master of injustices, which would be the sudden death filling of body bags of these men because of what they know. We call on our elected officials to act and to act now to save the lives of these men because of what they know and to bring justice to the mother and the family. Of Michael Anderson. Right now, we take you to that interview of the Anderson family. Let's hear it. <music> Ladies and gentlemen of America, we are joined by the family members of Michael Anderson. And uh, I would ask a question, and I put this question first to Billy, his mother, uh, who said, Billy, 
you have reason to believe that this was not a suicide, as the prison has stated. Why don't you talk to our listeners and tell your story of what you believe happened? Okay. I know that uh, I was visiting Michael on Sunday, and he was scared to death. And he kept saying, you know, that the guards were harassing him and that the inmates were being mean to him and that they put him in the solitary confinement um, and that I know Andy was scared. Um, I don't believe he committed suicide because Andy was stronger than that. And also uh, he promised his son and I he would be all right. I I, uh, just the feeling inside my heart and my stomach, and a mother knows, you know. um, I I do not believe he killed himself. I believe that he was killed by either guards or inmates. Okay, and uh, during our conversation, Billy, you had stated that. Um, and I believe, Terry, you shared this with me, that he said he was counting the days. Uh, uh, he had two years uh, left to go, and he was counting the days of getting out. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, he was, you know, he was uh, uh, looking forward to doing different things and, and going different places and uh, just getting out of there. Yeah, he was he, – he was really – Looking forward to it. Okay, and um, Terry, uh, did somebody else have a comment on this? No, I can just uh, second that. Uh, I, I was down there two weeks before he killed, or he was killed, and uh, he was t- counting down the months to get out, talking about you know job hunting, and you know, it just really took me by surprise. Yeah, so every indication points to the fact that he was looking to come home. Uh, I, yeah. I, I think, uh, and these are these are why the questions are raised. And uh, as you know, uh, Florence, Colorado, has had a history of questionable conduct uh, at that facility. If you guys went into any other issues while you were there, that raised a question that made you feel that you know what something is something's wrong here. Um, and, and one question before you, before you go there, what was he put in solitary confinement for? Well, they said that he was chewing tobacco. And I know he was not because I had been with him from 8 o'clock in the morning until 3 in the afternoon. You know, and, and there's no breaks. I mean, he potty break or something like that, but you don't have tobacco in the potty room. Anyway, uh, I know he did not have tobacco in his mouth. I would have seen it, and I would have smelled it. And his 19-year-old son also said, you know, he didn't smell it, and and Trevor's got a good nose. You know, we know he didn't have tobacco in there. They said he swallowed it. I think it was just a reason to put him in solitary confinement, you know, so they had him off by himself. Right, and uh, and honestly... um... Uh, if any tobacco was in the facility, number one, they would have cut his break or his visit short immediately if there was any threat of contraband uh, based upon policy. Uh, so the fact that he waited out his entire visit, uh, 
and was talking to you. Um, now, Billy, you did reference something in reference that uh, the guards even threatened him, uh, was threatening the fact that they were going to put inmates on him to shank him. Is that correct? Um, uh, that's what uh, I was told by by another inmate. You know. Oh, I see. And rest, and rest assured, folks, uh, you know, inmates, uh, they're the newspaper of the prisons. And they're the current news of the prisons, and I'm telling you, a lot of the stuff is valid that inmates are talking can, about. Go ahead. I can verify that, Lamont. I've I've been to, um, unfortunately, a number of of federal institutions, uh, including the camp at uh, at Florence, and okay. I'll tell you, there's a there's a number of guards there that think that it is their duty in life to become your punisher, not that. Being there is punishment enough. Being away from your family and your loved ones and and the people you care about and doing the things in life that we actually enjoy, they sure. think it is their duty to be your punisher. And firsthand, I, I swear to God that this is the truth. No, I agree with you. I was wrongfully convicted here in the state of Colorado, uh, wrongfully, and uh, did time um, – for seven years for something I didn't do. So the knowledge of how things operate in the, in the penal system is very much the same at the state and federal level. Um, you know, and Desiree, is that his daughter? Yes. And Desiree, are you on the line with us as well? Yes, I am. Okay. And again, my condolences to you. When you look at, at the situations here where your father is concerned, um, you know, I don't see a father just in this case. You know, I, I kept saying to Billy, it doesn't stand to reason that a man – now, if a man is facing a life sentence, he's never going to get out. He's miserable. He's unhappy. He has nothing to go to. He is alone. He is destitute. That's one thing. But for your father, Desiree, to be looking at two years, he's counting the days. He's talking about job hunting. He's talking about seeing his little girl again. What are your thoughts about what happened here, Desiree? Well, I don't think he did it himself. Just, I mean, he was talking to his grandkids. He would call and talk to them and tell them, you know, when he gets out, they're going to go do stuff and go hunting. It just doesn't add up to me. Absolutely. And have you guys um, um, filed any type of report uh, I understand, uh, and we will t- uh, not talk about things specific to the to the pending uh, litigation or whatever may be pending. But has action been taken uh, in regards to the um, to action in regards to uh, you know calling the prison in question of what's going on? This is Terry. Let let me speak to that a little bit. Um, I, you know, I've got a couple, I guess, opinions or observations here. Uh, first thing I'm pretty sure of is directly or indirectly, this prison caused Andy's death. Okay. Uh, trying to get information from uh, this federal bureaucracy for the average individual is pretty much impossible. <clears throat> I tried, you know, this is a 
He died on the 7th. It's a holiday. I started the next day trying to call all the numbers that I could get my hands on to the prison. <clears throat> I, I wasn't looking for details of what happened or how it happened. Just the logistics. Uh, how do we get him back? Where is he now? So on. Zero help. I mean, zero. Uh, finally had one gal says, well, call the mortuaries. Didn't say who or where. Just start calling the local mortuaries. And that's where I found him. I started calling there. And he, he was at it. And they said, yeah, we got him. Um, so, it, you know, <clears throat> trying to get any answers out of this prison for the average individual about anything, even finding a person to talk to, it's impossible. You know, that's, that's my experience. Uh, mm -hmm. I know that, you know, be, before he died, he was afraid of something. He didn't confide a lot in me. Yeah, I think he did more to his mother and his wife there. Sure. Uh, but the, the thing that is, uh, these guys in prison, any prison, they, they are uh, totally, you know, at the mercy of the people running it. I mean, there's no way you could dial 911 or call anybody when you want to. Or, and uh, I know the days before his death, you know, something was bothering him. He was worried. And I know he'd reached out to a, at least a couple of the guards for help. And uh, not only did he get not help, you know, no help, uh, he got pounded in the ground a little more. Yeah. made it worse. Uh, so he, uh, and this is Terry, right? Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, Terry, please go ahead. But yeah, I guess what we're looking for as a family is, is some accountability from this organization. And I'm thinking, without some nudge or help, they're not going to give it voluntarily. So you know, when the person's coming on here, if there's anyone out here that's uh, has dealt with this thing before and had any luck with it, know someone that can take it on, uh, we, we sure like some help here. Oh, and thank you for that, Terry. We intend to um, blow up, if you will, no, uh, not intention, not uh, literally, but to blow up the Internet, uh, Facebook, social media, every place. And to our listeners, ladies and gentlemen across America, this could be you. You could be the Anderson family that has lost a great deal as a result of injustice here. And, you know, it's not unreasonable to believe, uh, Cliff, that, that this situation rings and smells a foul play here. My understanding, uh, Billy, was that there were even some bruises uh, on Mr. Anderson. Uh, and uh, tell us a little bit about that. Then, Cliff, I'm going to have you chime in on this. Okay. Um, well, I went down to see him, you know, before uh, he was uh, cremated and that, and, uh, you know, they embalmed him and everything. And I, he had bruises all over his face. I've got pictures of it. Uh, he did not have those on Sunday when I had left at, at uh, noon or whenever I'd left. He had no bruises on his face, but he does have quite a few bruises on his face. Oh, and, wow. Uh, uh, man, I'm not sure where else he has them because I didn't 
uh, I seen him on Annie's face, and, and but I didn't see any others. But that doesn't mean they're not there. And there was blood on the gown that he had on uh, in in the mortuary when I went to see him. There was blood on the gown. Yeah, and it does were split pretty good too. Oh, he did. His he had okay. So it looked like so, like he was in a fight of some sort. Yeah. Okay, and some and Samantha, uh, are you with us? Yes, I am. Samantha, thank you so much for joining us. Samantha, uh, you are the wife of Michael Anderson. Yes, I am. My sincere condolences to you uh, as a wife. Uh, I'm so sorry, very very sorry. Um, your thoughts on this? Uh, my understanding from Billy is that he was excited that you were coming uh, to see him, uh, and he looks forward to that. Yes. Um, yeah, I was. Um, actually. I was in um, the line waiting to visit him um, the day that he supposedly um, killed himself. And they, I waited from 8 o'clock in the morning until like 11, it was like 11.48 when they came and told me to go to the camp. And I thought I, I was happy because I thought they had let him out, you know, of lockdown and he was back in the camp. And um, they just took me in the back and told me that he had taken his own life that morning. Um, I know he was having problems, but mom with the guards, something was bothering him. He wouldn't quite tell me what, mm-hmm. but I don't think he did it. And, and if, if and he did, got, there was somebody making him do it, you know, and I, there was somebody there telling him if he didn't do it, then, you know. Yeah. Well, there's so, there's so many, uh, issues with this story because first off, uh, you know, they they say there's no solitary confinement, that an inmate is not kept in a uh, in a cell by himself. And my take is if, and that is a large if, uh, Michael Anderson had taken his own life, there was someone else in the cell, they would have been able to alert the other guards, they would have been able to get out of it or uh, help him in whatever situation. That is a large if. And you know, when you look at the facts of this matter, uh, it says that um, that you guys, as as his family, had moved to Canyon City, which is very close to the Florence facility, so that you could visit him more often, and that he was uh, ecstatic about that fact that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm counting the days that I'll be getting out. My, my family is closer. They'll be able to uh, to visit me. Um, and then to – and not get a report. From BOP that, you know, uh, get a call that says something has happened to your loved one. We need to speak to you, you know, as as, as, right. a, as a decent, uh, you know, system would do. But then to wait in line for four hours and then to be brought in the back, your, your husband has taken his life. And then where is the written report on what happened to him? Yeah, have they... and, and to be told, to, for his father to be told. Just check some of the local mortuaries. You'll find them somewhere. Where is right. the dignity wow. and the, the humanity, the respect of this is my family member, this is my son, husband, oh. my father that has passed away? Where, Where is the human side of BOP that says we are helping you? See, that? that's why I say, you know, there's no rehabilitation in the American We're justice. not people to them, Lamont. We're, we're not people. They feed no. us. I've seen firsthand they feed us stuff that says do not feed do not for human consumption. 
Sure. You know, the chicken that they give us is the side that they inoculate the chickens on. And, you know, they, it's meant to go to, uh, like, hog slop, and they, and they send it to institutions throughout the country for a discounted uh, tax rate. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's that's what they do. We're, we're numbers to them. We're cattle. It's, you know, it's it's a sham. There's corporations like Unicor that are capitalizing on our incarceration, and the money that they make on our commissary is the death of Michael Anderson is clear. How much more information do you need to know that? That is the family of Michael Anderson. Talking about, again, everybody speaking to the excitement, the looking forward to, the pre-planning to live in Canyon City, which is very, very, very close distance to the Florence prison camp. Michael Anderson was murdered. And as Cliff said, we saw the pictures. Michael Anderson looked abused. This is tragic. Talking to Billy Anderson today, the pain is just as real as if it happened yesterday. And we sit back, and Florence Prison Camp thinks they got away with one. Because it's just another number. This is just another inmate that doesn't matter. The IRP-5 now are at risk. The IRP-5 now could be four of Michael Anderson's. We plead for help tonight from Congress. The Office of the Inspector General, who is took an oath to weed out criminal activity wherever they find it. This is a homicide. They have a thing that they call witness protection for witnesses who witness, who have information, who have knowledge of crimes committed for one reason. That is because those who have sought to cover up a crime will go to whatever lengths necessary to protect that cover-up. The RP 5 now are at risk. What witness protection do you have for these men? Let them out. They should have never been there in the first place. But they are privy to information. 
that will uncover this crime. If that be the case, we have an obligation to stop the killing. As I said earlier, Michael Anderson is one of thousands of people and institutions, but there are no voices. When you go into the federal prison or state prison system, you your voice becomes silent. So you walk around a prison where you are threatened. You are retaliated against. The RP5, they've taken these men's money. Won't let them buy commissary. Will not let them use the phone or phone time or email to communicate with loved ones. Could this be a strategy to silence the RP5? Is it just the beginning of that type of action? Because if I can't reach the outside world, then if something happens to me, if I come up missing, I'm unable to communicate because the prison has tied the hands and shackled the freedoms of the RP5, have seized their money to send an email to loved ones. Ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it, this is where the risk begins. What's next? You've taken these guys' money. You've said you've retaliated. You've put them in situations that you didn't have to because of an act of retaliation. It always starts small and it ends deadly. Again, we ask and we call upon Congress. We call upon law enforcement. We call upon investigators that occupy Capitol Hill to open the matter up for an investigation and protect these men. We're coming back with part two, the Anderson family interview. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio, the tragic death of Michael Anderson, 43 years old. But the flip side of this story the RP5 stand at risk and their lives are in intimate danger. Who will act? Who will act? This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, 
to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Corpsman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, 
They each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. to the chain. It was just a joke. We're not friends. Why are you talking to me? You started it. It's so gross. Loser. Weirdo. I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this, this is not who I am. And it's definitely not who I want to be. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip. I don't want to be a body shaver. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely. Left out. Hurt. We can create a kinder world. It's not that hard. We just need to stop. Take a moment and consider others before we speak. And before we act. Be more. Be more. Be more. Well, I'll tell you this, uh, folks and Samantha. Um, have they, and to, uh, this is to, the question to all of you, have they given you anything as far as an incident report, a copy of an incident report. Uh, no, and, I we haven't got anything, no paperwork, nothing. Not well, even when they sent his personal belongings to me did I get any paperwork even for like from his court hearing as to why he was there. He has no paperwork whatsoever. So they have treated this man as if he belonged in Potter's Field, that he had no family, that he had no one. Um, this is this is tragic. And, and and furthermore, not to cut you off, Lamont, but uh, one of our one of our listeners in the chat room has brought this issue up: is that how does a medical examiner say this is a suicide when you bring in a bruised body? A bruised body. Does, does a suicide victim punch themselves to several times in the face? Is that that is not committing suicide. That is an assault. It's an assault. That probably led to death. How does a medical examiner, unless you're in the pocket of the Florence Bureau of Prison System, how does a sure. medical examiner sign off and say this man committed suicide? Where is the autopsy report? Where is 
any of the information, where is the 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 official documentation that says this is a suicide? Because all of this information does not. I mean, if you you take all this and you put it together, it does not say that a none suicide. It, that none this of it was makes suicide. sense. None of it makes sense. I mean, nothing about the story makes sense. Everything points to the fact that this man has set his sights on getting out, moving forward, reestablishing himself in the community. Nothing says suicide on this. I mean, and 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 again, you know, I'm I'm sitting here listening to this, and Billy, you pointed out the fact you you visited him days before. He was okay. Yeah. He was scared. I mean, he was a little, you know, what he was dealing with then, but there was no bruising. There was no split lips. There was there was nothing that showed that he had been in a conflict. And so then, and and, and Terry, I, I was listening to you, I mean, to, to not even know where the body was. You have to call around and find out where your son's body's at. Um, and then to discover the fact that when I we get there, He's bruised. He's his face, his lips split. Obviously, he's been in some kind of of altercation inside prison. Days, just a small window of time has passed since you've seen him. But this man, everything I'm reading here, this man was looking forward to getting out, reestablishing himself with his family, reestablishing these bonds, looking for a job. Nothing here says. I'm going to commit suicide. Well, there's no warning signs. No. Um, well, there aren't any. Well, there, but there's no warning signs because the contention, and I believe, is that this man's life was taken from him. There's no warning signs to murder. Uh, there is no behavior to an unexpected killing. And uh, I'll tell you what, Terry, you said earlier, we need somebody to help. Ladies and gentlemen, you folks that may be listening to this program tonight, we ask that you reach out. Uh, to AJC, as well as the Anderson family. Uh, you have an extended family tonight, ladies and gentlemen, and the Ander- uh, this is to the Anderson family, to Billy, to Kenny, Terry, Samantha, Desiree. That extended family now is with AJC Radio and the Just Calls. Uh, we will seek justice for Michael Anderson. Uh, so we, we do have an opportunity. Uh, we have inroads in Washington and in, 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 the, in the halls of Congress to ask the questions, because human life matters, and Michael Anderson's life mattered, and we will do everything, Lisa, uh, as we have uh, sought out to seek justice. Uh, uh, talk to the Anderson family that they have our support. Oh, absolutely, 100%. We're behind you guys. I, I have a question that I'd like to ask um, uh, to um, to Billy, his mother. Uh, you said that uh, you had you had you had seen him just what would you say a couple a weeks day. before? Oh, was, was it the day before? It was the day before. Yeah, I had gone up and I'd seen him Saturday, and then I seen him again Sunday, and uh, I told him that his wife would be there the next day to see him, and he was, you know, yeah, I had just seen him the the day before this all happened, and he was happy about that, was he about not? About his wife coming. Well, he was happy, but he was scared, and he was tearful because he was so afraid. You and know? Now, did, did he tell you that he had that he had been threatened? Is that why he was afraid? Yes, and he also he said, Mama, I asked the guard to, to get me uh, somebody, uh, 
to talk to, get an antidepressant so I could cope better. And he told me to shut my my uh, pussy mouth, you know. Wow. <laughs> Not, okay. uh, and he was really mean to him, you know, really mean to him, the guard was, I, you know. And, and he tried several times to get people to help him, you know. Yes. Yeah, I th- I think it's 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 horrible to to have a family going through something like this unnecessarily. I mean, I I don't believe for a minute that uh, as a mother talking to your son, if he was uh, leading in the direction of suicide, I mean, yeah, he he can be afraid, he can be upset. That doesn't mean he's going to kill himself. And I think uh, most mothers, I think, would know that they would have a feeling that hey, something's really really wrong with him, something's really off here. I think as a mother myself, I think you would know that. I don't believe that you could spend time with him the day before and not know if he was in that if he was in that kind of condition. Yeah, let me chime in. This this is Terry there, and Billy can uh, verify this. But she seen him all day Saturday, but only two hours in the morning on Sunday, and that's because they had locked him down the day before. so uh yeah he he was upset and uh uh worried I, you know I think he told somebody that the guards had was having fun with him after they locked him up telling him he's going to be here 6 months and they're going to transfer into a higher security prison and stuff like it just having a heyday and, and what people need to understand is he he was a little different than the average uh, felon in prison there. He's a he's a sensitive guy. He's a small guy. I don't know. He's five 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 six. And uh, I'm thinking he had he had a conscience too, and that bothered him a lot. And I think he was just a an easy target for the guards or you know, other inmates, and they took advantage of it. You know. Well. So anyway. And. Um... Billy, you had something to add with that? Yes, I, I was going to say, yes, he did. He told me that they had told him he'd be in there at least six months in the hole and that they were going to they were going to put him in a minimum security prison instead of the minimum or the 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 medium security mm-hmm. instead of the minimum. And he was he was really scared, and he took everything these. Creeps said well, he to had, heart, and he had oh. never been in trouble before. He had never been in jail, you know. He was in jail for a couple hours, but never no amount of time. So no criminal record at all for Mr. Anderson. History, no, no record. Uh, no. Samantha, were you getting ready to say something? Um, no, I was. I just said that he was never in jail, and he didn't have no criminal history. So, you know, he. He wasn't like your everyday criminal, you know what I mean? I mean, there's a sure. difference between a criminal and a non-criminal. Right. And 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 they said he had two years left, uh, Samantha, Billy, uh, the family, two years left. Uh, and what was he, if you don't mind me asking, what was he in for? Um, For distribution, conspiracy of, to distribute meth. Okay, all right. Uh, which they never right found now, Andy with... With any drugs, any money, 
Uh, it was just people saying that Andy was involved, and that's it. You know, Andy, right. the only right. thing Andy did wrong was Andy was addicted, and that's it. And guess what, folks? Right. If Andy had a problem, they should have given given him help. That's right. You that's don't right. And not prison. prison. See, that's that's where right. the nation the nation right now, folks, is dealing with this issue right now. Right now, they intend to release over 6,000 inmates across the country who should have never been in prison in drug-related charges. And I think it speaks to the condition of this country. If Andy had an addiction, he needs medical attention. He needs psychological attention to beat his addiction. A a meth charge is not a death sentence. You don't give some and, and Andy suffered a death sentence for a minimum crime. That's not right. No matter how you look at it, and it's a it's a wrong situation. Um, we are going to fight as hard as we can for Michael Anderson and, and you as his family. And we cannot say how so very very sorry that we are for the loss that you have suffered here. Um, is there anything else any of you wanted to tell the American people as we? dig into this this tragedy. Well, I, I would just wonder it all I always wonder, um, if I wasn't there in the row of line waiting to visit him, if they would have contacted anybody or how long it would have been before they called us. Right. To tell us, you know, that he was gone or Sure. You know, because I, I mean, after four hours, you know, I still don't know what time or when or we don't know anything about, you know. Yes. No, I understand so. that. And you know what? I, th- I think that those are the things that uh, that really leave us baffled. And uh, we have a um, uh, we're going to have an opportunity uh, to dig into this even further, not only while you're on the air. But while we, when we go off the air, we are going to dig into the problem that's, that, that this is a major problem. And I think, Lisa, it's an idea for us uh, to, contact, uh, to contact Washington and to the Anderson family out of respect uh, for your time, uh, what you've gone through this evening. We cannot say thank you enough for talking to our listeners tonight. And understand we feel your pain more than you will ever know. And I want to give each and every person an opportunity, if you would like, to say a closing remark to our audience. Anything that's on your heart that you'd like to say, we give you the floor tonight to do that. We'll start first. Billy, do you have something you want to say to our listeners? Yes, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, they haven't signed off on the um, autopsy or or the, the cause of death yet. The coroner has not got the thing, and, and I don't, uh, anyway, they haven't signed off yet, so it's not being signed off as a suicide as of yet. And then another thing I'd like to say, Andy really was a good guy, and I appreciate everybody who reaches out to us and tries to help us, and Please, if anyone, if there's a lawyer out there that would like to take on a case, please get a hold of a just cause, and, and then they'll get a hold of us because we really need some help. Thanks. Thank you, Billy. Uh, Kenny? Yeah. I want America to understand who Andy was, the capacity for love that that man had, 
and the capacity for forgiveness, you know. I learned how to be a man for Mandy, you know. He taught me so many things. I He gave me a work ethic that still serves me today, you know. What happened to Andy, I know in my heart was not at Andy's own hand. And, you know, being an addict does not ever need to, to uh, result in death. So I, I'm begging the American people, lawyers, you know, if you truly stand for it, for, for justice, let's get Andy some justice. Because if there's any, ever been anyone that deserves it, I believe it's Andy. And I want to thank the Just Cause for your interest in this and sharing uh, our story and Andy's story and uh, um, to the rest of the Anderson family uh, with us and listening. I love you guys and uh, I'll always be here. And, uh, Dr. Kenny, go ahead, Billy. Yeah, I was just going to tell Kenny I loved him too. And then he's a good guy. Terry? <laughs> <Okay, laughs> yeah, I just, just want to thank Just Cause for uh, bringing this to the surface. Hopefully it'll do some good. Uh, and the people that called in with their uh, thoughts and sympathies there. Okay, and thank you for that. And Samantha? Yeah. I just want to thank everybody, and hopefully this will help get the news out and hopefully some other family don't have to go through this because this is terrible. And yeah. Just thank you guys for being there and helping us through this. Yeah, and you're you're quite welcome on that and uh, uh, thank you so much for those kind words. Desiree? Well, I just want to thank everybody for being on the show, letting us come on and tell our story, and hopefully we can get some justice for him and the whole family. And thank you, and we appreciate that as well. And uh, folks, uh, please know you guys all have my contact information. Feel free to contact us uh, as you need to. And uh, believe me, it just calls will not go away, and we are dedicated to finding justice and to bring that message of justice around the world. Thank you so much. Our prayers and thoughts are with you and your and your family. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I'm sure uh, this will make a difference, and uh, we will fight for justice for Mike. I mean, excuse me, for Andy. Uh, he goes. He goes. <laughs> he goes for Andy, right? That's what he goes by. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we will fight for Andy as we continue uh, to seek justice. Thank you so very very much for sharing your story. Thank you, Lamont. Thank you very much. Okay, and we will definitely be in touch, okay? All righty, thank you. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. Tonight, as we have begun the really the uncovering of the conspiracy of murder at the Florence prison camp in Colorado, uh, prison of the Federal Bureau of Prisons in Washington, D.C., which uh, they have gone into the field of comedy because they refuse to do anything. They are a joke. 
without question. We have the death of Michael Anderson at the age of 43 years of age, killed in solitary confinement. Preceding that were threats made to Michael Anderson by guards. And as Cliff uh, spoke to, uh, to earlier, the pictures that we saw of the deceased Michael Anderson was clear that he had been assaulted. Make no mistake about it, solitary confinement, there is no interaction with inmates. Doesn't happen. The only interaction you have, whether you're going to the shower, whether you're going to the cage outside for recreation, it's done by guards. There's no other way to put it. We have started a campaign, or restarted a campaign, rather, into the death of Michael Anderson, but the possible death of the RP5 because of the information that they know. What attempts can and could be made on the lives of these men? One attempt was already made, to to the best of our knowledge, when a sudden move out of Florence prison camp was done. Not with the number of people getting released or going to other facilities, but strictly the IRP5. Nobody else put in vans separately to separate destinations. Very clear and very possible that this was a ride to the death of these men. Fortunately, someone made a call from Washington, D.C. with extreme urgency. Once they had found out what had happened, they were told to return these men to the facility. The question for you tonight, why? Why sudden move at 4 a.m. in the morning? To these five men One reason They know something Billy thank you so much for joining us Tonight and and for sharing your story Uh, As I told our listeners before And and Natalie is a uh, Young lady that joined us the other night She talks she's the founder of Prison Lives Matter Uh, She's going to Listen to the conversation as well As we talk uh, tonight and uh, talk about uh, Michael uh, and also your grandson as well. And Billy, how are things going thus far? I know we talked today, uh, and my understanding is you still have not been given the cause of death. It's 2018. Uh, this is 15, correct? Right. Yeah. They they still claim it was suicide, but uh, the coroner said it did not look. Like suicide, and if I could get a lawyer to take my case, uh, you know, I'd probably win because uh, he felt it was murder. Well, I'll tell you what. Go ahead, Billy. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And and, uh, anyway, uh, I tried to get the prison to talk to me. They will not. They would not talk to me. They finally just started hanging up on me and calling me names and stuff. And I just never got any satisfaction from them at all. Um, all I know is Andy is dead, and they did pay for him to be cremated. 
They they wanted him uh, cremated as soon as possible, and unfortunately, my ex-husband uh, went ahead and went along with him and and let him let him cremate him, and that and um, I, I know it's because they didn't want us to, you know, dig any deeper and that. Let me, but, yeah, it. Let me ask you a question, Billy, and thanks for confirming that. And, and I tell you what, it just calls. We will be looking uh, into this even further. Uh, Natalie, have you ever heard of a prison offering cremation services to someone who has a family that would take? Um, I haven't. I haven't, but I have heard many stories of prisons using different methods to try to hide what really was going on like um uh, for example the the example i was talking about on tuesday about the man who passed away nine days into a sentence up in dallas they tried to keep the body from the family as long as possible so that they could hide what it was that they were doing it's kind of pretty much a a cover-up ploy they just want to brush everything under the rug they'll probably um declare his his passing of natural causes and then that's the way they get away with it they declared um the the gentleman in texas they they had the coroner report say that he passed away of natural causes when in reality he baked to death for nine days um so i no, i personally i've never heard of, of prisons offering funeral services or cremation um but i'm i can't say i'm surprised about it that's unbelievable. Go ahead, Billy. You know, we could not. Uh, it took us hours and hours and hours to find Andy's where Andy's body was. They would not tell us anything after they sent him out. You know, and that they. I mean, my ex-husband had the family get really, really mad before they'd tell us where Andy was, and so that we could get him brought back down. You know, down to Cheyenne where we live. Um, and then they they would tell us nothing, you know, absolutely nothing about where he was or anything. Well, and, and I surprised I surprised them by uh, going ahead and having him involved and stuff, and went up and visited him before he came on before he was cremated and that. And Andy had bruises all over him and and that, and you could see where they had had a handcuff on him on one of his arms. You know, and where it was real tight, and he was—he had bruises all over. I know they killed him. I know they did. Oh, I have no doubt about that. And according to Billy, uh, you stated you spoke with your son on the phone the day before he died. He said that the guards told him they were going to have somebody in the yard shake him. He said they were going to keep him in solitary for six months or longer. He only had two years. Yeah. Two years. Yeah, left. and see, I. I was up there. I went up there to visit him, uh, and one one day he was not in the hall, and the next day he was in the hall, and he was scared to death. You know, the next day they let me see him for about an hour, and he was scared to death. And he says, Mama, please go tell him I need some help. I, I need some help that they're threatening me. And he was scared out of his mind, you know. That is horrific. Go ahead, Billy. 
and uh, Andy was a very nice guy, but they made it so, you know, nobody would have anything to do with him in the prison. None of the other prisoners or anything. They they told him that they told the other prisoners he was a rat and everything else, and just stay away from him. And and they just isolated Andy totally. We called him Andy. His, his real name was Michael, but we called him Andy, and they isolated him totally. Kept him, kept other people from being near him and and stuff. They they made him a total outcast there. So there was something. I don't know what was going on, but there was something going on from the day one he went into that camp up there. And, and he, I mean, like. He was just in in the camp. He was a nonviolent offender, and uh, you know what they did to that that, that guy is just un, unbelievable. Well, I'll tell you what states here that uh, inmates that have been in prison camps state that other prison camps are nothing like Florence. It is far from being a camp. The Florence facility is listed as America's number one worst prison, according to the article on the Mother Jones site. You may want to go out there and check that out. Search Mother Mother Jones. And they talk about, because it's not run like a camp. You got medium and high facilities, higher security facilities that run safer than Florence prison. And I believe exactly Uh what you're saying in regards to this man. He was in the hole. And then what they, it sounds like what they did is torment this man, put him back on the yard because now you threatened that you're telling other inmates to shake him, to kill him. That yeah. doesn't happen. He goes back to the hole and, and ends up dead? Yeah. Ends up dead. Tell us a little bit, Billy, about your grandson and what he went through when this happened. Well, uh, it was about a month later. Travis, uh, he just couldn't. He just couldn't live without his dad. He just he, he had. He said he had nothing to live for. And then uh, one day he was there, and the next day we found him all. And he said that he loved us all, but he wanted to be with his father. And he he shot himself in the head. And um, he just, you know, him and his dad were very very close. And uh, uh, Travis was, um, I don't, Trevor was just, I don't know, he just couldn't live without his father, you know. Yeah. He was a good kid, a real good kid, and and that, but he just, he said he didn't have anything to live for after his dad died. So sorry to hear that. And uh, Natalie, when you hear that, I mean, this is a real tragedy, and and we're talking about so many of them. And Billy, our thoughts and prayers are continually with your family. And I'll tell you what, a just cause will continue to dig into this even further uh, and get some information sent up to the Bureau of Prisons and file complaints, whatever we got to do. That an investigation, and we hopefully we can hit reach uh, members of Congress to take a look at the untimely death of your son. And hold people accountable for what they have done. And we're going to definitely call out the cremation uh, offer. Uh, by I'm yeah. never that. And this is a cover-up. There's no other way to say it. Natalie, when you hear that, how does that affect you? I'm sure it hits you straight in the heart. 
I mean, it's heartbreaking. Nobody deserves to die, uh, you know, in prison, especially somebody who's there for a nonviolent charge who was scheduled to be released in, in the relatively near future. I mean, it's, it's just sad. You have people, there, you know, there's a group of, of inmates that go to prison and they genuinely try to rehabilitate themselves and they genuinely try to get reintegrated with society and the system just holds them back. And for them to die, you know, in, in prison for something that is completely unnecessary and unwarranted, I, I can almost guarantee you that the officers that are responsible for this had some sort of vendetta or they just wanted to feel that they wanted to assert their authority or just act macho or whatever because I can do whatever I want to do if I have a badge on my chest. And it's, and it's the, the fact that they are so easily able to get away with it that kind of empowers them to do it again. And so it, I fear that, that um, this isn't the only case and this isn't going to be the last case, Not specifically from that institution and, and more generally from all over the country. But it's, it's definitely a heartbreaking story to hear, and it's trying to imagine what it must have been like is just mind-boggling for me. Yeah, it's, it's something that uh, it just shouldn't have happened. And to go to those lengths again, these folks are acting like they're above the law because our system has allowed them to do so. Right. People to do these things. And how do you not tell a grieving mother where the body of her son is? Except right. you got something to hide. You're hiding something. Right. And it should not be happening. And um, Billy, we're going to be diligently looking into this matter further. Uh, you have my number. Uh, I'm going to definitely stay in touch with you. Uh, how's the other family members hanging in there? How are they doing? Well, the, most of them are doing real good. His father still isn't doing real good, you know. He's uh, kind of um, withdrawn since he died. And, um, well, his brother is doing better in that. And uh, his two stepdaughters, uh, one of them's doing pretty good, and the other one's just gone wild, you know. Um, and his, well, his wife... She's just she's just um, gone totally to hell, you know. She just she, I guess she thinks she has nothing to live for, and she just she she drinks and everything, you know. Uh, I haven't seen her in in several years, you know. And uh, but uh, you know we're coming along a lot better than we were a year ago. A year ago, you know, none of us were very good, and um, I mean, uh, yeah. but it is just uh, something I don't want to tell people. If you think the prisoners eat good, uh, Andy told me, and this may be something that, uh, but he worked in the kitchen one day, and he opened a box that said, not for human consumption. That's what they're feeding those prisoners something that's not for human consumption. I mean, the prisoners are treated really bad. No, I, I, I just want... Yeah, no, go ahead, Billy. I, I just want people to know, anyone who thinks that they've got a cushy life up there in, in Florence, um, Colorado, they surely don't. I mean, they, they feed them, you know, 
stuff that's green, stuff that's not for human consumption, and I mean, they they treat them really horribly. And when they send Andy's stuff back to us, you know, none of his things were there. It was everybody else. But, I mean, everyone took his things and, and uh, you know, just threw their things in, in the box. And that's what came back to us, you know. We didn't, we got none of his things back, you know. So sorry that you missed dealt with that, Billy. Uh, um, we appreciate your story. We appreciate your courage in the midst of your grief that has to be, and I'm grateful you're doing better, but justice must be rendered in the case of the murder of yourself. It must be. Uh, we're going to attack it. Uh, I did have a colleague, well, a friend of mine uh, who just asked me if there was anybody that had, was dealing with BOP issues. Uh, I'm going to forward this story in this press release to tonight. Uh, and he's very well connected with attorneys that may very well pick up this case. So let me oh. uh, do what, let us do what we can uh, to help find justice for your son and your grandson and your entire family. That is our intention with that question. You. Okay. Thank you so much. Yes. Yes, I appreciate it so much. Oh, you're very welcome, Billy. And we're going to be in touch with you. I don't want to hold you much longer. Thank you for taking time tonight out of your schedule. Get some rest. And know that uh, Just Cause is fighting on your behalf for justice for your son. We appreciate you so very much. And to give, give your family and everybody our best. All right. Thank you so much, Lamont. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call or just calls today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. 